Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach, Jordana Michelle. And if you're not already with the woman of your dreams and you're ready to finally find her so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share dreams together and have adventures together and share passionate intimacy together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com because it's packed with resources that can help you, including my guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, A quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her. A report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them. And a matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. But before we go any further, I have a question. Have you ever questioned yourself? Have you ever felt like you're wrong for feeling what you feel or saying what you say or being how you are? Those voices are our self-doubt. And the antidote to self-doubt is intuition. Intuition is our inner knowing and it talks to us through our bodies. And in this episode of Women Wanting Women, Liana Silver teaches us how to decode the language our bodies use when communicating what it knows intuitively. Liana is a teacher and thought leader who helps women stop self-criticism and second-guessing so that they feel comfortable in their skin, clear about their worth, at home in their lives, and naturally trust themselves, even when other people might think they're nuts. Her new book, Feminine Genius, The Provocative Path to Waking Up and Turning on the Wisdom of Being a Woman, was nominated for Forward Review's 2017 Book of the Year Award. And her work has been featured in The Huffington Post, Forbes, Jezebel, Thrive Global, Bustle, Emerging Women, and Yoga Journal. Liana also dances, paints, mamas, takes deep breaths, and mostly eats sitting down. We shared a great conversation together, so I really hope you enjoy my interview with Liana Silver. Hi, Liana. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for asking me on. What I love most is that I originally knew you from your topic of feminine genius, but then when we talked, you said you were really excited to talk about self-doubt, which is such a juicy topic for, I think, for the queer community especially for me growing up, it seemed as though if I looked inside to my inner compass, due to the fact that I had this different orientation than the other girls around me, using my my inner orientation, I'd sort of be pointing in a different direction than my peers, which felt very wrong when I was younger, and I didn't know quite how to process it. So I doubt if I'm the only one who had a similar experience as that in my community. So I think that probably the topic of self-doubt is important for everyone listening. And I'm really grateful that you brought it up. Mm, Great. Great. You know, I know we'll we'll dive into it more. I think it becomes more obvious, more painful, maybe a bigger leap to make if you notice that your orientation is uh, different than the norms of society, different of what a white uh, male perspective would say is, is, is acceptable. So I I do think the kind of like, am I the only one who, fill in the blanks, is ubiquitous, Um, right? It just happens so often. 
even if you're straight, if you're bisexual, right? It just, I think it happens all over. And I, I, I don't mean to um, homogenize that at all. I think it's different and more, and more glaring when it's, you know, you're supposed to like boys and you don't, or you're, you don't resonate with that fate or whatever it is. So I, I really hear that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you do make a good point because sometimes for me coming the perspective, coming from a perspective of being different in a very particular way, maybe it's easy to lose sight of other more glaring things such as how being born into a patriarchy as a female can lead to certain inherent feelings of self-doubt, which are important for me to also recognize. So I'm really glad that we're going to be able to have this talk. Yeah, yeah. Well said. Well said. Thank you. You too. Mm. So where do you think, if you had your choice, would be the first place to start for women to start to really unpack this topic? Well, I think we start there, which is newsflash. We've been born into the patriarchy, which is 5,000 years old. Just 5,000. I mean, 5,000 years is a long freaking time. And it's not forever. And that there's some really interesting fact, study, you know, obvious conclusion that this is not the way it's been forever that in fact there were the main like the main ways that people interacted and the way societies were formed were around not necessarily matriarchy it wasn't that women were dominant over men or the feminine was dominant over the masculine in fact there wasn't dominance there wasn't this thing that we take for granted which is there is power and there are some who have it and some who don't that we have patriarchy is partly a power over system and what's so evident is that pre patriarchy there was a system that we could call power with and that there were recognition of the different forms of power and that those were busy co-creating life and i'm sure that you know things weren't utopic or perfect but I think that we had less of the, you know, real pain and illness that patriarchy creates. So I think it's good to start there and go, let's acknowledge we are trying to live as finding our wholeness and finding our voices and, and finding the freedom to say what we have to say and feel what we have to feel and love who we want to love inside a patriarchal culture that says there is a right way and a wrong way. <laughs> to love or to feel or to be or, or what to say. So we just acknowledge that we're swimming upstream. This is tough. This is good work, you know, that we're all doing, but there is, um, we're like fish in the water swimming around and we just don't, we're like, Oh, it's water. But that water is particularly antagonistic to the feminine, to females, to female bodies, to women in general. Um, and then certainly anything that, that is considered to be other than, you know, white, wealthy, power-holding men and male perspective, right? Yeah, absolutely. When you put it that way, where we're swimming, you know, the, in the ideas that make up our society, like fish and water, so we don't even always recognize that they're there. And living in a world that's antagonistic to whether it's the female body or to other types of humans that aren't the white male with with money 
And I love this idea that there's that there that it's not been forever. It has not always been this way. This is just one form of a way to live. And it's not the way that humans have always lived. And there's this other possibility that you call power with that involves different forms of power and co-creating life using those different forms of power. And I, I absolutely love that. So what more can you tell us about that? So I do want to say that that term, I'm sure, has been used by a lot of people. I heard it first just to give credit where it's very much due with a researcher, writer, tour de force. Um, her name is Rian Eisler. She uh, is either the Center for Partnership Studies or the Institute for Partnership Studies. We'll do a little recon on that. And she's got a couple of books, Sacred Pleasure and The Chalice and the Blade. And I believe, so for me, that's where that concept, power with, was, was originated. For most women and girls, when we are told, no, 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 you can't feel that, you can't be that, you can't know that, you can't say that, the, the doubts that other people, or the, the restrictions other people have for us, which are based around patriarchy or just, you know, stuff that's passed down through the family, through the culture, those things we internalize, we even more like, you know, it's not a great ride for men and boys either. Like, you know, it sucks in certain ways for them, but as women and girls, we are taught to internalize that, that there's always a kind of taking the arrow of patriarchy and turning it and like stabbing our own hearts with it. And so the, I can't feel that I can't be that I can't say that voices we hear get become our own voices. That's what self doubt is self doubt is the internalization of the voices that we hear around us. And then we think it's our voices. And, you know, we do that for, it's a really wonderful, we have really wonderful impulse to do that because if it's inside you, you can have control over it. You could try to change it. It feels more uh, tenable and in control. It has dastardly consequences, but the original impulse <laughs> to, um, you know, to internalize those, vo those voices is really noble. Yeah. We want to protect ourselves. Yeah. We don't want to be wrong. We don't want to be bad. Yeah. We don't want to hurt anybody. We don't want to, you know, get kicked out of the community. We're talking about one of the most basic things hardwired in, which is belong, belong, belong. If you get kicked out of the group, like you got to forage for berries on your own and you're probably going to die. So let me get busy figuring out how to, you know, feel this, the right thing, say the right thing, be the right thing, love the right person, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. We evolved to live in tribes that helped us survive in the wilderness. And without those tribes, we would have been dead. So that instinct to belong makes a lot of sense. And if that's what is causing this impulse that we want to have more control of our situation. So we tell ourselves we can't feel what we feel or be what we want to be or know what we think we know or say what we were going to say because we've internalized these restrictions from the patriarchy. Then it makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, there are these things that we all, uh, every, every human has inside them. Like we have this ability to have feelings and emotions. <laughs> we have this ability to um, intuit, have intuition, you know, gut knowing, we have this ability to deeply care and connect with ourselves, with other people, with whatever we consider source, you know, divinity. 
um, we have this ability to, to go toward what we want, know what we want, and, and our impulse, our hunger, our desire, our impulse points us in the direction of that. That's hardwired in into all of us. But um, we all have learned, no, you can't have that kind of inner knowing. No, you can't have those kinds of feelings. No, you have to compete, not connect. No, you got to override your body to make it in the world. And so all of those things, if we, we stuck all those together, I'd call those feminine genius. I just give it the, we didn't, wouldn't have to. I call it feminine because it, it, it tends to be in the realm where people tend to think, you know, feelings, intuition, you know, the body tend to, tend to be spoken of more as, as a feminine energy, feminine skill. It's not the realm of, of women or anybody who identifies as women, but like if we're talking about energy and a power, then it is, you could call it feminine. It's counterpoint, intuition's counterpoint is logic. Yeah, I want, yeah, yeah, go. I think this is important to really pause and dive into more because I haven't talked about it on the podcast. Uh, and I really like using archetypes whenever possible. And the archetype of the masculine and the feminine is a very useful one. And as you said, it has nothing to do with male or female or how any particular human that has a penis should behave compared to how any human who has, a, you know, feminine body parts should behave. So I'd really love to pause and sort of distinguish how you define what constitutes the feminine archetype and what constitutes the masculine archetype so that we can then weave it back into how we can use what you called, you know, our intuition to, mm. you know, counteract whatever self-doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I love this idea of, of archetypal energy or archetypes in general. And you probably have talked about it brilliantly otherwise, but just real briefly, Carl Jung, who was, um, you know, a real pioneer in the realm of what he called collective soul and the shadow and archetypes. So I'll just borrow his kind of understanding of archetypes. Archetypes are like, like a kind of an energy that we all really can embody. We can all, we just all really get instinctually. We just really get, there's the archetype of the princess. There's the archetype of the warrior. There's the archetype of the brainiac, the archetype of the joker. We get those instantly. And, and we all can step into them in different ways. It's not about male or female. So I just want to make that clear that we're not really saying that some people are a princess and some people are a brainiac. What we're saying is that there are these universal within the collective soul, I guess. I don't really know that part of, of Carl Jung's work, but this idea that there are these different roles that we all can step into. Every single one of us that's available to everyone. So we do, let's just talk on the level of the archetypal, the archetype of masculine and feminine that is different than male, like what your body parts are like, and female, what your body parts are like. And there's you know, there's like some variation in that. And that's different than man or woman. So we'll just leave those terms out of it for right now. We'll just talk about masculine, feminine as archetypes. And this is really important, meaning it's a, it's a role you can step into. We all have it in us. We all have it in us. And the, if you look around, well, well, let me stop for a sec and just say, so the feminine archetype, the, the, you know, that you stepped into a feminine archetype when you are feeling, when you are having emotions, joy, dread, lust, <laughs> peace, 
You know you've stepped into the feminine archetype when you're connected to your intuition. Intuition, I love this definition. Intuition is direct knowing without the need for conscious reasoning. You know it, you don't need to reason it. So you know you're in a feminine archetype when you are connected to the direct knowing of your being. Your intuitive, bodily, instinct, um, inner knowing. You know you're in the feminine archetype when you are in um, your the, the sensual pleasure of your body. You, the five senses, what you smell, what you touch, taste, hear, etc., in your body. You are in the feminine archetype when you are feeling connected, when you feel a, a resonance and intimacy with your own self, with another person, with whatever you consider to be source or divine, whatever. You are in a masculine archetype if you are inhabiting logic, right? It is the counterpoint to intuition. Logic, planning, profit and loss statements. <laughs> you are in a masculine archetype if you are in thought, right? Counterpoint to feeling. Masculine archetype is a uh, focus on goals that can override the body, goals and willpower. These and, aren't inherently good or bad, right? They just happen to be different skills. Go ahead. And I also, in f just for anyone who's not familiar with these, you know, it's easy to say, well, you know, why and what are we talking about? There's actually a beautiful reason for this. If you think of just the old-fashioned genitalia of the of a female compared to a male right um the vagina that is open and receiving that sort of a feeling and it's an internal um and has to do with things coming intuition coming into us being receptive receiving ideas um resonating feeling whereas the masculine a straight line sperm shooting out of a penis in just the old-fashioned way that males reproduce is that idea of getting things done goals logic planning straight line you know very practical well done yeah. yeah. Are there any other um, physical that you can think of examples like that of how this manifests in nature and why, why things organize in this, in this yin and yang way? You know, goodness knows why. Um, I, I mean, if we just go metaphysical for a second, I'm kind of a student of Vedic Tantra, which is a really interesting kind of unruly philosophy <laughs> um, and that, that it is a precursor to Hinduism and influenced Buddhism as well. And um, so, you know, this idea that there's, you know, if, if everything is just oneness, so all creation is, is, it is just like one energy, but it can't actually experience itself. So all of oneness, energy, cosmos, right, splits itself into two polarities dark and light, masculine, feminine, yin, yang, um, up, down, simply so that white can perceive dark and go, wow, dark, and dark and go, wow, light, you know, cool. We can, we can experience this. We can grow and learn and combine and be attracted to each other and like, you know, learn some stuff. So if there's any reason that I can, um, that I can tell it is for existence to experience itself in its, you know, in its variation. And um, one of the problems with the patriarchy is that it said, no, 
no, no, no, only light is good. Oh, no, no, only yin, well, only yang is good. Only masculine is good. Feminine in these very, you know, let's keep that in a cage. So we live in a world that says, you know, you go, you've got to think your way through life. You've got to tough it out. You've got to do use willpower. You've got to use competition. You've got to, you know, be goal oriented. Um, and then what happens is all of our ability to intuit, feel, you know, receive, et cetera, goes underground and really, you know, feels like half of us we're not getting to use and really, really lands in self-doubt. Yes. And it also undervalues the connection, the resonance, the intimacy, the more feminine things that that the, the feminine side of life is good at doing, taking care of elder people, taking care of children, teaching children, counseling, being there for people. These are not as well paid as financing big buildings and doing very goal-oriented masculine things, although they're not necessarily less important. The connection, the heart connection, what is life about without these other, without the divine, without the feminine with these, you know, it would be very empty if all we had were big buildings, but no connection between each other within them and no one to help us with our hearts. So also within a patriarchy is an under a devaluing. Tremendous devaluing. And if you think about it, why would a, an accountant, now I'm not undervaluing accounting, but who's really kind of like making sure the numbers line up in different columns, being paid better and valued more than someone who is raising your child who will spend more hours in the day perhaps than you do with your child. Like it's crazy. So to your point, absolutely. We live in a world where um, the feminine, like the archetype of the feminine, female bodies, certainly, uh, women in general are incredibly devalued. Yeah. Raising your children, being the person that's, that's nursing your elderly parent or grandparent, the, the, the most precious valuable things in life that are the province of the feminine in this society, they're not being as valued. And then you can also self-doubt coming in once more there because when you think about maybe one of us, whether we're man or woman or anything in between, wanting, for example, to to go into a profession where we can use that part of ourselves and not, and then, but then question whether, oh, it doesn't pay as well as being a banker, for example another opportunity for self-doubt to creep in when in a place where the feminine is being devalued. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will say too, you know, the feminine archetype is creation, creativity, right? Art, meaning. This is when you're experiencing your life and there is deep meaning or wonder or joy, that is the feminine archetype. And we, you know, we look around, there's like, what, what does this all mean? I maybe have climbed the ladder of success in the way that my family or culture wanted me to do. And it's meaningless, right? We, we are lacking that feminine archetype. Because we need to be more power with. As you call yes. It. Yes. We know both. We can have intuition and logic. It's all good. Yes. We need them all. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. So then what are the next steps? What are the, what do people need to know then to move towards this? So I think it's nice to know you, this is hard. So if you're feeling some worn, you're worn down or you're feeling some self doubt, or you're feeling like the white, the, the black sheep and, you know, herd of white sheep, there's a reason it's not because there's anything wrong with you. So it's just good to know that 
you have an inner compass, like you were describing with your own growing up. We each have one is totally intact. It's never stopped working. You just may not have been listening to it or you haven't learned the language it uses. It's super personal and specific and unique. So I think, you know, just knowing we're up against something formidable and the work is wonderful. It's, 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 it's fantastic. Like, I think it's probably the best work we'll ever do, which is, um, which is being whole, <laughs> having access to both the masculine and the feminine archetype to all the, the parts of us. And then really saying, no, this is the way that my compass is pointing. This is true for me. This is what I have to say. This is what's supposed to come through me this lifetime. That is incredibly life-giving. That lines us with life force. You use our life with meaning, you know, yeah. So the second step, I think, first step is just, you know, it's, it's, it's hard, it's hard um, and good and necessary. And the second step, I think, is starting to pay attention to our bodies in a culture that really encourages us to, us to live from the neck up and to really be in a, in a lot of thought and a lot of planning and a lot of goal, goal orientation and a lot of comparison and to say, don't stop, you know, willpower through, don't get up and to pee, <laughs> don't nap, don't pause. Uh, so, you know, even if we look at um, spiritual traditions, there's this sense that the body gets us further away from exalted consciousness or expanded consciousness or gets us further away from whatever name we use for God. Your body is kind of like this irrational animal and you got to kind of get control over it and transcend it if you would like to be more of a spiritual person or a more expanded consciousness person. And I think it's, um, especially for women or especially for, if you're inhabiting the feminine archetype, it is my feeling that, um, actually to really have your soul be present. The soul happens through the body. The soul lives through your body. It's not disembodied. The soul lives through your feelings and your intuition and your desires and your ability to connect and your missteps and folly and messiness. There is no way to be a soul walking around without having a body. So is to pay attention to our bodies and say, it is not less exalted to be in a body. It is just, it's, 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 this is the, this is it. This is like the ex how, this is the expression of, of full humanity and full divinity to be in a body. And we'll get more specific about you know what does that mean? Listen to your body or you know how do you listen to your intuition or whatever. But you know, especially for for uh, for female bodies, I think you know culture just picks a kind of unattainable um, quality or body type or personality and says this is the way you're supposed to be now, right? For a while, it was like very pale skin. So you had to stay out of the sun. Then it's like super, super thin. You have to do all this, you know, bullshit with eating and eating disorders and exercise. Or I read this really awesome article written by a 
I don't know the name of the person who wrote it. I can source it for you, but it was called There Are Five Different Types of Vaginas and Women Only Want One. <laughs> um, I mean, technically, a waxer's looking at your vulva, not your vagina, but we know what she means. So she wax- and- she's a wax, she waxes. She's a Brazilian waxer, and she said, look, I see a lot of vulvas. And those, I could group them into roughly five different categories. And the one that we see most often in pornography or just has been kind of like the standard of a vulva is the least common. I see that the least. It's like 20%. And the ones that women think, oh, my gosh, something's wrong with me, um, that's the most common. So you know, this idea that, that you're, there's, there's, we, we, can we find a way to let go of the tyranny that your vulva, your body, you know, is supposed to be and act and look in one way, but actually it's incredibly intelligent that your intuition is hooked up to, um, a kind of knowing that your mind does not have access to a kind of knowing that knows actually what is healthy and good for you and the people that you love and care about in a way that your mind does not have access to. Yeah, because the mind, the prefrontal cortex is a relatively, they're the place where our thinking mind resides, I guess, or comes from. Our prefrontal cortex is a relatively new mechanism on the evolutionary scale, but our bodies, the rest of it, is, I don't know, how many millions, billions of years old we are from what we derive from. So our bodies literally do have a deeper knowing and has, a, has access to something far more ancient and far more brilliant than whatever can be produced by our much younger, much more immature part of our brains. So well said. I was once, um, it, 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 gosh, I guess it's probably about 15 years ago, kind of at the, the end of my dance career, beginning of my coaching career, I was studying yoga, studying Vedic tantric philosophy. And, um, I think I was sitting on the floor reviewing my yoga notes or poses. And my then partner came in after, out of a meeting and came in and said, all right, we just went through all of the research and doing our due diligence on this company I want to buy into. So what does your pussy think? <laughs> That was an interesting, how did your partner know to ask this? So have you so, already been, you guys obviously were already pretty deep into. Yeah. Yeah. Woo at that point. Was totally, it? Yeah. totally deep into the woo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's a great question. It's a great question. You could also say, what does your body think? What does your intuition think? For me, that is one overlooked source of intuition, you know, or location of intuition, which we should probably talk about more in depth in a moment. Um, but yes, we had, we had this study, we had this common language between us. And I think it was a kind of like form of like flip, huh? What, what do you think body, right? His mind said, I want to buy into this company. He's a very intuitive person too, but, and I hadn't really had that question asked to me before in that way. And so I don't know, I like tuned in and asked as I got, no. And so I said, no. I know you think your mind's in your due diligence says yes. I think no. And they didn't listen to me. And then they went ahead for a couple of weeks and then it turned really wonky. And it turned out that the other company had lied about certain things and misrepresented their financials. And if it had gone through, it would have been really disastrous. 
And I thought, oh my goodness, like what was, what was going on? What information was my body, my vulva, right? I call it your Oracle. What was that tuned into that, you know, all the logic and planning and due diligence and profit and loss statements didn't have access to. And that was one of the first times when I thought, okay, body, body, we can, we can redignify the body. I am so curious to learn this language and to have it. I want to have access to this alongside any of the, any of the attributes of my mind. I really want to get into tools for how to do this, but I, I also just want to affirm whenever I ignore my intuition, things always go wrong. (laughs) Yeah. So I think things can work out. You know, it's not like follow your intuition and you get the grand trophy and the big bank account and like the great wardrobe, you know, like, I don't know that it works according to our plan in our head. But I'm talking about, you know, there's this warning that comes up. And if ever I ignore that, that's not good. It always ends up being bad. So I don't know that I'm saying I, you know, follow whatever little spark of idea that comes into my mind and I just, you know, um, blindly follow it. No, but there is something, there is a warning. There's something inside that it's it's best to listen when, when that voice speaks. Yes. And even if the thing, the idea kind of works, it's going to be grueling and hard and not work as well. You're absolutely. And I think sometimes that's the way that it goes with intuition (laughs) is we have to uh, not follow it enough and, and feel the pain of that (laughs) so that we're more and more motivated to listen. But because of my, I would say slightly more anxious orientation, when left to my own devices and when not doing the work, I love how you said being whole is the best work we'll ever do. I mm. totally agree with that because if, if without doing the work, it's, it's, it, it's much better when I do the work. Yeah. But my intuition that I'm speaking of the, the one that I hear most loudly and when I hear it is one of warning. And I'm curious, is that the only one? Is there also an intuition of, of pulling towards something amazing pulling towards that, which is positive. Is it always a warning or is there also another side? Great question. Well, first of all, I would say this is personal, right? There is absolutely no one way that any one person hears or senses or gets their intuition, right? Just off the bat, there's no one way to do, there's no one way, one right way to do this or hear this. And Um, I do a lot of work with myself and people that I work with to distinguish what are the voices of fear, worry, comparison, planning, doubt that are different than the voices of intuition or the voice of intuition. Because, you know, is this a warning that's an anxiety driven warning, or is this a warning that's intuitive and they're all valid and they all have really important things to say to us. But I think as you, uh, listen and practice and kind of, you know, perk up your inner ears a bit, you start to understand that they feel different in the body. They express themselves differently. And what you're saying, uh, both, I, I believe that intuition will, point you and orient you toward what are huge yeses for you or small yeses, whatever. It really go in this direction. This is life-giving. This is a place of learning, of deepening, of growing for you. Yes, this way. And it will also say, no, no, sweetheart, not good, not good for you. 
you can't see the consequences I can see on the horizon, but I'm going to pull the reins and stop you short right here. Both. And how ironic too, because if I'm really being honest and looking at the truth about myself and a big, now, like once it came out of my mouth, that felt true at the time. Cause I really remember these times when I was about to do something and I, my gut told me don't, and I did it anyway. And I called that my intuition. And, and that was almost more of the masculine kind. But if I'm honest with myself, there's so much that I've moved towards in my life, even when no one else was doing it and followed my own path and come up, came up with great things in my life, huge yeses. And I didn't even give that credit as being intuition. So there I go undervaluing the feminine, even in a conversation about devaluing the feminine. So there you have it. Beautiful. (laughs) So let's talk more about how every person can start to really recognize our intuition when it, when we hear it, how to tap into it. So I like to start in this place. This feels like a fairly simple, easy to grasp exercise that can really be built on. Um, So our body communicates with us in terms of feelings and sensations. Kind of break it down to that. Feelings, feelings can be sensations or they can be emotions. Sensations are things like tingly or warm or cool or expansive or contractive. And emotions are things like happy or sad or angry, uh, dread, right? Those are, these are the, the building blocks of communication that our body uses to communicate with us. Um, and so what I like to do is have people now have people essentially start to go, huh, when my body throws this sensation at me, it's saying yes. Well, my body throws this sensation and emotion at me, it's saying no. It's going to be different for every every person. And there's a lot of common ground, as I've been doing this a lot over the years. So some people naturally already know this, and that's fantastic. For those who don't or want to just have it be more precise or, or dive into it, what I like to do is say, just do this simple exercise. And um, as you do it, you're going to be observing your body in a similar way. Let's say you went to a healer or a doctor and they said, okay, you have a, you have a pain in your abdomen and can you describe the pain, what it feels like and where it's located, but you can't point to it. So what you would do is you probably would turn your eyes, your ears, your sensory organs internally, right? You kind of imagine where in your abdomen you'd go, huh, is it sharp or is it achy? Is it dull? Is it, uh, is there like pain on a scale of 10 to one is, uh, oh, is it closer to my spine or closer to my belly button or, you know, right. So you would do that kind of internal questioning. So that's what we're going to do here in a moment. And then what I would have you do And I think it's just really good to start. You can put your hands on your low belly. I think this is a really good place to to ask. Um, Let me just go with that it is, and then we can talk about why in a minute. However, so if you want, you can put your hands on your low belly because that's the place you're going to put your attention in a second. And then what you do is you ask yourself a series of questions. You already know the answer is yes, too. And when you listen to the answer, you go, huh, where did I feel that? And what did I feel? So the first question could be, do I love? And then you insert someone or something you love. Do I love? And for me, I might insert my son, Griffin. 
and then I'm going to sense, listen for what did I feel, what sensations or emotions, and where specifically did I feel them. You should make a note of that, and we'll try a different question. Um, do I feel really alive, vibrantly alive when? And then you insert something that absolutely feels, that brings you vibrantly alive. When I dig my toes in the sand, when I, you know, dance, when I sit in Shavasana, lay in Shavasana. And then again, you listen, sense for what did you feel and where did you feel it? We'll do one more just for the heck of it. You say, is my name? And then you insert your name. For me, that would be, is my name Liana? So then you just listen for what you feel and where you feel it. And now you can kind of guess where we're going. What was the common denominator of all those yes answers? Did you get anything? We can use you as our test subject. I did. I loved this exercise. It was interesting to see the yes be similar across the three questions in a way I didn't expect. Yeah. And do you want me to describe it? Yeah, why not? Oh, it's going to sound so strange. It felt almost as if there was a tube, like with an upward motion going through it, like yeah. somewhere, I don't know, in the middle of my abdomen, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was sort of an upward motion. Yes, fantastic. Um, so that's really common, not that it needs to be, but upward motion, expansive. Often there is a kind of like central channel or something that, that, that people report. Uh, so again, this is unique. There's, it's, you know, you're doing this along with, with Jordan and I, you, you know, it could be totally different, but just to let you know that that is a unique way that your body says yes. So that, you know, when you have next time you're like, you know, spinach or broccoli, and you can just get a sense of when do you feel that particular yes signature in your body and, and try it out, go for that one. And then obviously you do the same for no. You'd ask yourself a series of questions. You already know the answer is no to, and after each one you'd listen, sense for what you felt and where you, where you felt it. And that's building blocks, right? That's the yes and no of your body. And your body doesn't lie. Like lies and doubt, they all happen in your mind. Your, your body might say, no, that's not a good situation for us to get into, but that's not doubt, right? Your body doesn't lie. That's so interesting, right? There's no lies in nature. They're just humans telling lies. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's so interesting. It, isn't it fascinating? Yeah. yeah. I never thought of it that way because our, our body is just a physical truth. It just is what it is. Yeah. I mean... Right. It doesn't mean we always do, we should do what we feel, right? There is some discernment. We want to be in the, we want to learn the complex language of our intuition and our feelings. Sometimes if you do what you feel, you kill someone in a crime of passion, right? You don't necessarily want to do right. that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, totally. Um, so what I love with that is to say, try it out, do the exercise. So you get a sense of what of your body What's, what's, does this yes and no of your body feel like for you? And then try it out. There can be kind of open-ended questions or multiple choice questions, right? Like spinach or broccoli or 
just the best thing to do today kind of a thing. Just ask yourself, I like starting with low stakes questions to get your confidence about you. Sometimes it's easier to choose between spinach or broccoli than it is to end a relationship or um, know how to have a difficult conversation or when or terminate a pregnancy or, you know, like these are high stakes questions. And um, often when you ask, intuition is good for all of them. But, you know, at least for me, sometimes when the stakes are high, my mind will come right in. And so I need to have just built the exercise, excuse me, built the, the muscle of my, of my intuition so that it's as loud a voice as my mind, so that my mind doesn't come in barrel, barrel in. And the practice so that you recognize the sensations that you already know what yes feels like. Whereas if you're going to do it for the first time and this huge decision and you're not really sure about what yes me is like for you on the inside, it's a big deal too. Yeah. And, and wouldn't it be nice if you had a couple of times under your belt where you went like, okay, I went right at the fork in the road and something really important happened. Oh, you know, I heard a yes. And I went, as you were describing, right? I didn't go with my intuition and ouch. So it's really good for us to have that feedback so that we're more emboldened to go with our yeses and go with our nos. Totally. And it's just a good excuse. Um, you know, you said being whole is the best work we'll ever do. And I totally agree with that on so many levels, but especially if we take it to the level, if, if by being whole, we talk about the unity of by mind and body, because so we grow up being taught to identify so much with our mind. Yes. Yes. And again, you know, this is not to belittle or vilify our mind or our thoughts or our logic or any of that, or even our ability to compete. But it is to really acknowledge that this archetypal feminine has been devalued to the point of personal breakdown and, and planetary breakdown, right? So we really want to focus on it and, and bring it back, back into our own bodies, back into our own lives, back into the world. I, I, I really want to even dig deeper into this because it's so important. The, the person that I was before I learned the concept, you are not your mind, mm. before my identity became decoupled with the voices in my head mm. that I would totally believe. And if I was upset, I believed it. And if I was happy, I believed it. If I was mad, I believed it. If I was angry, I believed it. But when we learn that we're not our minds and that those voices in our head are just one aspect of reality... And there's this other option when we can feel our feelings and feel our body and ground ourselves in the moment, in the physical reality of where we're, we're at. And that becomes another option. There's so much more wholeness. And, it's, and, I, and I've become such a better person by decoupling my identity from just the thoughts in my head. It's led to so much more greatness. And then you talk about the planetary breakdown, because if we're always in our minds, then we're always in fear. And when we're always in fear, then we have to have as much as we can for ourselves, you know, just in case someone else were to take it. And then that leads to so much extraction from the earth, yes. um, you know, and, and from other people, taking from other people because we don't want to be without and scarcity mentality and all the different ways we fear our neighbors. And it, it's just it, this, this the identification with the mind is really the cause of so much of so much misery, inner misery <laughs> and planetary mm. misery and just misery of all kinds. And so mm. you're so right when you say that 
being whole is the best work we'll ever do. And any exercise that forces us to get back in touch with our body is such an important one. And in the name of intuition, it's, it's a great excuse to be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that there is a really a valid form that intuition comes in signs, uh, Oh, Oh, line from a poem in a book that you picked up and you just flipped to a bird flies through your window and it's a kind of bird that's a particular sign for you. So there can be things that come from your external world. I don't want to discount those, but I will say, how do you know that that bird has an intuitive meaning for you as opposed to it's just a random bird, right? What's going to happen is there will be a confirmation in your body. (laughs) There will be a some sensations and emotions in your body that let you know that bird is a sign for me as opposed to a random bird. So, you know, in addition to what you're actually feeling in your body, it can be catalyzed or the impulse can come from, from your external world. And I don't want to discount those at all. And finally, the body has the final say, yep, that's that, you know, this is intuitively right for me. So you see a sign, you think this is a sign but there needs to be that second check where we where we want to say, is this just an idea in my head or is this the truth? And our body can give us the yes or no answer to that. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. That's great. When I think about self-doubt, another thing that comes up in addition to just finding the answer beyond the doubt, the other thing that comes up is just how bad it makes us feel and the way that it messes with our confidence. And mm. I was wondering if you wanted to get into that at all. What, what you have to say about that or any thoughts you have about that? You know, there's a real interesting, um, a really interesting path we can take with this. So there was a period of, a period of time in my life where I would got incredibly sick and went through an incredibly dark time. And I was doing some research physically, metaphysically, what is going on with me? And I read a story that really paralleled my own in a book, Vagina, by um, Naomi Wolf, which is a really incredible book. And she talked about a really similar experience as she was kind of going through where she just couldn't really feel joy and pleasure. There was all this stuff going on with her body and she didn't know what was going on. For her, she happened to have a spinal injury. And um, when she got surgery, the pressure that had been on her, her pelvic was released and that the, her ability to see light, have meaning, j- feel joy in her body, actually take pleasure from her, you know, sensuality in her life returned. She had been at something medically is called um, anhedonia, the inability to feel pleasure. It was physical in her. There was, a, there was a block in her pelvic nerve that blocked not only physical pleasure, but metaphysical pleasure from her life. So what, what, what this reveals is that there is a really interesting thing that happens in our bodies when we feel, when we can feel physical and otherwise pleasure that those sensations are relayed often through the pelvic nerve up our spines into our brains and release something called dopamine and dope and oxytocin. And those neurotransmitters, dopamine is essentially your confidence neurotransmitter a little bit your motivation trans, trans neurotransmitter and oxytocin is your connection or your bonding. So there is this 
really interesting thing that happens that in our bodies, when we can feel pleasure in our sensuality, sexuality, in our connection to all things, when there is meaning, right? When there we're in that feminine archetype, we actually feel more confident and we feel more connected. And this is another thing that we have, there's a lot of confusion around, certainly around sexuality and pleasure in the body. We're, you know, like that's wasteful or sinful or do that later once you've earned, you know, you deserve it. And um, so we kind of go about thinking we'll feel confident once we've willpowered our way through right, and conquered the task when actually our confidence is deeply connected to the pleasure we feel in our bodies and our souls. And this is even more so for the female body. So a beautiful antidote to self-doubt can be really, really, you know, the, the impulse of our bodies to feel good and toward pleasure, toward sensual pleasure, toward metaphysical pleasure. Yeah, which is so counterintuitive. The intuitive thing in our society is to have an arrow going from achievement to confidence. We can feel confident when we've earned it, when we've achieved it, when we've done enough, when we've become enough. The idea of enoughness gives us the, the allowance, the ticket in to the confidence. Right. And, okay, there is a kind of confidence that comes either when you're like, wow, I just tried once and I got it, you know, nice. That's, it's a super kind of high, or I've really been working at it and now I can do the thing I couldn't do before. But we're also talking about this kind of confidence that comes when you're, you like yourself and you feel a foundation of wholeness. You know what? I'm going to miss, I'm going to fall on my face sometimes and I can be kind to myself. I can be loving and humorous to myself, I will not self-abandon. And that, I think, is a more important kind of confidence. It's beautiful. When we are loving to ourselves, we have more space to be loving to others. Mm. And when we show up as a more loving human in the world, then we can also get that feedback. Other people like to be around nice people who connect with each other's humanity mm -hmm. you know if you're running through a store this is maybe i'm in new york city so perhaps <laughs> i'm exaggerating the existence of this sort of archetype in life the person who's running from place to place super busy and not taking a moment to look someone in the eye and recognizing you are a human and i appreciate that about you before then rushing off to the next thing when when we do engage with each other's humanity more which is really a pleasurable thing. It's it's a way. Mm. It's a it's a it's some. It's very tied to us feeling good because we we are creatures that crave connection. There'll be confidence that comes from that too, based on no achievement at all, just us feeling good. Yes, yes, absolutely. The meaning is there. Connection is there. Intimacy is there. Creativity is there. Uh, yeah, yeah. And back in my days when I was when my life was all about being a lawyer and that very linear kind of success. I didn't have as much of that in my life. And I wasn't as, I don't think I realized at the time, but I, I wasn't as confident as I am now. A lot of mm. it's tied to that. Mm. It, you, right. I mean, an achievement is wonderful. We are all, I think, racehorses in our own right. And we want to run and we want to just, you know, like do the thing we're great at. And 
it's so hollow when it's on a foundation of self-doubt or not enoughness or, we, you know, we feel broken in some way. And we can actually just re reconnect these parts of ourselves. When we can be in our masculine archetype and achieve and we can be in our feminine archetype and really connect, what wholeness that brings, right? What meaning that brings. It's, it's just a really important form of confidence. Yeah, the power with, as you were saying. It's so yes. beautiful and so important. Yeah, well said. Coming from you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah, great quote, Liana. Yeah, it was. It's, I love it. The power with. And, of course, none of this is to devalue the masculine. That's really not what this is about. This is more just about valuing the feminine and understanding that a lot of our self-doubt can be – or is probably derived from living in a culture where that hasn't been valued as much. Yeah, exactly. Masculine is wonderful. I call it masculine genius. And I think when we do one over the other, it can get toxic, right? We have, we see a lot of, even the term toxic masculinity in the world. Um, but, but, uh, they're both incredible powers, strengths, energies. We need, a, we need them both. We need them all. Do you think there is such a thing as toxic femininity in some way? Absolutely. Yeah. How does that come out? So I think we can see it in, um, let me give you maybe a couple of examples. So when any group is oppressed, it has to find ways to have expression and power, usually in manipulative ways, right? It's right. right and then, so, the archetypal feminine in its toxic form can be manipulative to, you know, to gain power. I think that can be what one way to say that this is subtle, but is to, is the ways that we use our sexuality as a commodity, as opposed to a real deep ownership of our sexuality and really understanding what is our particular sexual expression. There are, um, there, I mean, good Lord, this is probably the hottest topic there is, right? That girls and women are taught to be perceived as the right amount of sexy and the right kind of sexy for, to sell advertising or for the male gaze, even if you're queer, right? There, there is a way that your sexuality is, um, that there is a right way and a wrong way and that you can that it is one way you can actually profit in the world. If you, you're more valuable, if you fit this, uh, you fit this definition. Um, and yeah, I'm glad you brought it. I want to get to more examples of manipulation and the toxic feminine. I don't want to lose sight of that, but because you brought it up, I do find it really interesting. I don't like the male gaze. I don't want to engage with men in that way ever at all. I'm not even a little bit bisexual. So I've always sort of sat that one out. But I understand it. And I also have, I've, I'm, I've definitely been used by women who've used that on me, for mm. sure. So right. I've actually, if anything, I've been the, maybe the recipient of that from other women. Yeah. And not necessarily the wielder of that power against guys. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, so for example, if we could just take, you know, the strip club as, so there could be um, conscious feminine, femininity, <laughs> feminine archetype, or there could be toxic feminine archetype. And it really depends on, is that a choice 
for that woman? Is that a, a real, like, is she in ownership of her sexuality and her sexual energy? Was that a choice to be there? Um, how does she feel before and after? Is this, you know, one form of her self-expression or is this something that she's putting on? Or is it just her choice that she can make more money there than anywhere else and she's totally free to do that? Right. I'm actually think a more offensive form of that are, I know that when women have manipulated me, I haven't liked it. Yeah. When I've been used, I haven't liked it. And that is toxic. And allowing me, you know, using the fact that I had feelings for her to get things for me. I didn't like that. Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. And it makes me angry at the feminine in that moment. So... And that is not because of sexuality. It was because of the way that she was wielding it. Yeah, there was a lack of honesty. It was showing, it was sort of doing what she had to do to open my heart in certain ways to get what she wanted from me, but not because she was with me in whatever level of attraction and, or desire for attraction and connection that I, we weren't on the same page. And it's yeah. not a good feeling. So that's really interesting. What are some other forms of toxic femininity? You know, another one that comes to mind is a kind of bringing a sense of competition with other women, we could say. This, um, I don't know, reality TV show meme, I mean, there's a ton of different kinds of reality TV shows, but a kind of backstabbing, cattiness, uh, manipulation that comes from, right, that, that comes from, oh, there's not enough of something, so I need to take down this other person or this other woman so that I have enough. And this is, you know, for the length of the patriarchy, which decides how valuable women and girls are, if you were deemed more valuable, then you get a roof over your head and you got a reputation and you would be a healthier person and live longer. So it would be better. You were value, more valuable than the other woman down the street. You're saying it because is, then she would get the higher status husband, for example. Right. Precisely. Yeah. And only one in a, in a, in a monogamous culture, only one woman could get one, the man and get the, the resources from the man and be the wife and have the children of that man or in a legitimate way anyway. Legitimate right. as in not the, you know, back in the day when children born out of wedlock were not considered quote unquote legitimate. Correct. Exactly. And there's always exceptions to these rules, but these are the rules. So I think that we've got in our DNA competition with other women is pretty deep in there. Um, and that's super toxic. It's not, it's just like, doesn't, it, it doesn't make anybody better off. And, and girls it, are mean, mean when they're mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say this is another form of toxic femininity or yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really important topic for queer women. When I came out and then had to start meeting women and going to the lesbian bars where, where queer women were, it was very clicky there. Right. And I felt like I was in high school all over again. And it was the strangest thing. And I felt left out. And I felt all these feelings that reminded me of being in high school. It was, it was not good. Right. And we we're taught to think that there's, okay, so there's one standard of attractiveness or one standard of, of beautiful. And so well, I got to try to fit into that instead of going, look at your expression of beauty. Look at your in embodiment of this 
you know, humanity or sexuality. Wow. Like we can do with your sister next to you or the girl, the woman on the bar stool next to you. In fairness. Yeah. I think if you want to go to a place where there's as many different types of beauty as can possibly exist in the female form, go to a lesbian bar. And there's definitely not <laughs> just one form of beauty there. And yes. if you pulled, if you went into a lesbian bar and asked every single queer woman in there, who's the prettiest person in the bar, almost nobody would agree on what that answer is. We have very diverse tastes. So that's one place in which we are lucky, but yes. But I totally agree with you. Competition with other women is a very big deal. Did you experience that when you were younger? A little bit. I wouldn't say I had a mean girl environment. I actually haven't even seen the movie. So I think it was easier than most, but I internally had a sense that I was um, not really valuable until I somehow embodied whatever ideal of woman. So I had a lot of jealousy and envy in comparison to other people. I mean, for example, I could remember being in a dance class. My, you know, my early career was a was a dancer. I was being in this dance class. And there was this woman who was kind of slender, shaved head. And I was like, oh, wow, to be a really great dancer, I have to be slender and have a shaved head. And then the next day I'd be in a different class. I'd be like, oh, she is curvy and has long red curls. Okay, I guess I got to do that. Just this idea that um, that it was, that the, the, you know, me being myself was, that nobody would really want me for me. They would just want me for how well I conformed to an ideal. And that, that's, I think, what marked my young my younger years. Absolutely. And as a dancer, unfortunately, in some ways, that's true, right? Well, yeah, yeah, it really is. I think there are lots of exceptions to that. But it feels to me a little bit like, um, I would say, probably modeling and certain athletics, right? There just is this, I, it's just easier to get a job if you're super thin. Yeah, you don't think of ballet, necessarily. And that, what do I know? I'm not, I don't really follow ballet. But I don't think of Ballet is a place where I see a lot of diversity. It's a lot of, you know, leotard. I mean, it's just a lot of similarity, similar bodies, similar leotards. And I see it as a sea of similarity more than a sea of difference and non-conformity. Yeah. Right. And there are certain companies where they are purposefully creating a sea of diversity. But in fact, most ballet companies need that because they don't want to change their costumes from year to year. So they're just, you know, like need the same body, for, you know. Yeah, it's funny. More funding for the arts. <laughs> solve all the problems yeah <laughs> okay so manipulation and competition does that cover the toxic femininity or feminine femininity it's a great question um i think that another way this would probably fall into a category of manipulation that sometimes we can feign incompetence or feign stupidity like the damsel in distress, distress ar archetype. Right. Damsel in distress. You know, oh, I can't open the door. Will you do it for me? Kind of a thing. And that also can, it's, well, these are really subtle realms because then we get the uber confident modern woman who's like, I don't need to ask for help. I'm not in distress. I'm not a damsel. I can open my own fucking door. And in fact, I can fix my own refrigerator. Thank you very much. I don't ask anybody for anything. And so I'm falling apart. <laughs> Um, so there is a converse, right? Because actually asking for help is necessary and, you know, it, it doesn't devalue you in any way. But it, similarly, like you can be in a strip club in an empowered way or a disempowered way. We can 
you know, asked for help in an empowered way or disempowered way. And I think a toxic, a form of the toxic feminine can be, oh my, I just fainted. You know, can you, can you come to my aid? The absolute weakness. I totally agree with you. The, the idea of the damsel in distress is, is a, is not an empowered feminine, but in the same way, if you, you know, the, the opposite of being the ability to be manipulative, the opposite of that is not in any way using your intuition about another person to achieve the results that we need. Whereas sometimes it's really important if we can manipulate others to, for example, eat healthier, be kinder to their neighbors, recycle more, work harder at the things that matter to them. Sometimes a little bit of manipulation can go a long way towards good. And manipulation, if used towards good things, isn't necessarily bad. It, it, you know, it's only bad when we were talking, and you said it in the context of the toxic. So of course that taken too far becomes very, very toxic. But just like you said with the damsel in distress, to, to go the other way is also quite toxic. And competition, if you don't compete at all, then we get walked on. So it's, I, I agree with you. This is all under the, under the, when we talk about toxicity, it's, it's only when taken too far. Well said, well said. And I think you could even use the word influence versus manipulation, um, that, you know, we could get into all kinds of semantics, but, but manipulation sort of has a, um, a negative connotation, a negative connotation, whereas influence, you know, I see you doing this thing in a way that I really admire and it is inspiring for me to take it on. Probably, you know, I might call manipulation and more in the form of influence. I don't, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I'll take it. Sometimes I like to think of myself as a trickster, but (laughs) for good, a trickster for good. Yes. Manipulation means to shape by hand. That's what the word means. It's like, it actually isn't, you know, you can be making clay and you're manipulating the clay. Good point. Yeah. I think, um, I take your point well. I take yours well too. Yeah, and I love that. I tell that to my son too. Like you're being a that's a mischievous glint in your eye. I want to celebrate that because you know we we've all got that kind of. We want to push the edge. We want to we want to like poke a little bit and uh, and bring and be the joke. Well, speaking of the Joker archetype, so I'm with you on that. A hundred percent. And we can use our feminine genius and our intuition to be able to coax people into mm-hmm. better choices for themselves, for the world, and just holistically better results for everyone. Mm. I feel like that's a mic drop thing to say. Absolutely. Well, how about before we get off the call that you tell women where they can find you and where they can go to learn more about the amazing work that you do in the world? Oh, great. Um, so lianasilver.com is my website. And that's a good place to hang out. If you go there and want to check out my book, which is Feminine Genius, you you can't buy the book through my website. You buy it wherever books are sold. But if you come on my website and let me know where you bought it, then I'll give you some cool bonuses. That's material I couldn't put in the book because it was a little too feisty. Uh, So you can get that. You can also come on. I have an online community and an online course. The course is called Feminine Genius at Work, and it takes all these principles, right, of how do we embody the feminine archetype and get it into our work life um, for, for more balance and more wholeness. And my community is a way, it's just like, it's like a gym membership, and you just have access to everything, and live QAs, I'm in on that group, I respond to everybody's posts. 
So it's a beautiful way to connect in a really low stakes, low cost way. In fact, based on the requests of those community members, I'm starting a course called Mining for Gold in the Dark Night of the Soul, um, which is a continuation of a chapter in my book and really explores <clears throat> what, why do we go through these incredibly dark times of transition and loss and grief and Right? And why is that a particularly part of the feminine archetype? What possible transformations are available for that? How do we make it through? How do we uh, make sense of it? How do we make lemonade out of these really bitter times in our lives? So that's the online community and course. And I definitely hang out on Facebook and Instagram. And I like to say it's a way where social media can be a plus and can actually have you leave you feeling better about yourself than worse. You know, just follow the people that bring you some love and inspiration. And um, so that's my aim with with posting and interacting on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, and so it's a beautiful way to to get to know each other and, and connect intimately, even through virtual means. Absolutely. If, if you're using the socials to get inspired by wonderful humans like Liana, then you're using the social in a good way. Yeah. And I love that mining for gold in the dark night of the soul, because as bad as our terrible times in life can be, they somehow always leave us better. And there is gold if you know the tools to work with it. So that's such important work that you're doing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll have links to all your social media below. And I'm so grateful to have shared this time with you. Thank you so much. I so appreciate being invited into this conversation with you. Thank you. It was really great, Liana. You're wonderful. Yeah. yeah, you too. Thank you so much. And now I would love to hear from you. We covered a whole lot of things in this interview, but I'm curious. What of the many things we spoke about was the most impactful for you? Head on over to the blog at womenwantingwomen.com and let us know. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share dreams together and have adventures together and have passionate intimacy together, then there are free resources for you that can help on womenwantingwomen.com, including a guide to quickly and easily eliminate rejection from your life, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a free matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free on my website at womenwantingwomen.com. And when you claim your free access to any of those things, you automatically become a Jordana Michelle Insider, which will give you instant access to an email training series I created to help you get on your game to find your soulmate faster and easier and to help you grow the deepest possible love together once you finally do meet. Plus, you'll get exclusive content and special giveaways and some personal updates from me that I just don't share anywhere else. So go to womenwantingwomen.com and check it out for yourself and share it with any other LGBT women that you think can benefit from what I'm offering there. Until next time, keep remembering that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women.